0: you're listening to the banner church podcast thank you so much for listening for more information visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. church.com all right now welcome to banner church this morning how's everybody doing this morning doing good awesome man i don't know how you can't be hyped watching megan jump around this stage that was just that was pure hype yeah i i love it i love our worship team so thankful for you guys i uh man, I'm really thankful for our team and making the video. And I I told Katie, I was like, I will not cry during this one. But (laughs) it happened. Um, (laughs) But I am so thankful. You know, it's funny... uh, this week, something that Katie and I, we were just counting our blessings, because sometimes when I'm really frustrated, I like to do that, is, you know, sometimes when you're really frustrated, you can miss the amazing things that God's doing, and so you gotta go back and be like, no, 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 I'm actually, I gotta stop this, and I gotta say, hey, no, I'm thankful for this, and I'm thankful for this, and I'm thankful for this, and it was funny, because this Thursday, in our love the block, we handed out 65 pizzas uh, to our neighborhood here. And uh, it was it was chaotic, but it was amazing, and uh, I just love the opportunity to continue uh, to reach our neighborhood and our community. And again, like we say, it's because of your generosity uh, to be a part of that. And even if you're watching online and you're not able to attend in person, I just want to say thank you for still engaging with the mission of Jesus Christ in the city. So, um, so thankful for that. Uh, but I was man, I was tired by the end of Thursday because I started early, ended late, and I got home, and I was I still had to do my workout, so I worked out, and by then I realized I hadn't eaten anything all day, and so I was a little hangry, and I was tired because I did like a 100 burpees, and I was like, this is stupid. Why did I do this? So I was a little complaining, a little complaining, Um, and it (laughs) was fair. (laughs) He's just nodding at me like, yes, you were. Uh, But then I just began to recount all of the things that God is doing. And one of my biggest, greatest blessings was we're calling this church and thinking of all that God has done. We were just like, I'm not, you know what I'm not frustrated about? I'm not frustrated that we went from having one kid, my kid in kids' ministry, to even pre-COVID having 30 to 35 kids in kids' ministry. Like, I— I'm not frustrated about that. I'm not frustrated that, that we're reaching our community every week. I'm not frustrated that we've given out more money during COVID than any point in our life. I'm not frustrated that we've given over $25,000 to missions just within the COVID season. I'm not frustrated that everyone has served so faithfully. I'm not frustrated that when you show up to this church, people are faithful. I'm not frustrated that we've had digital small groups, in-person small groups. I'm not frustrated. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for our team. Some of the people on our team um, have, I've known since they were 18 years old, now they're having kids. and just babies, raising babies, and uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing to see what God is doing, and so I am so thankful, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that you're joining us online, because you are also a part of what God is doing. So I just want to say, as your pastors, from the bottom of my heart, we love you. We appreciate you. You mean the world to us, and uh, though we are far from most of all our family, we do not feel like we are without family because of the blessing of your relationship. So thank you for being a part of our life. Thank you for loving our children. Thank you for loving us. And uh, I know God's got some more awesome things that he has planned. It's going to go even above and beyond what we could ever ask and imagine. Amen? Amen. 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 Uh, I have some people joining us in town. I got the Willises and the Arments or some of our friends from Washington. I guess you live in Texas now, but some amazing friends. Um, Jim is the the reason that I'm actually probably in ministry uh, because he tricked me into leading worship one time like 12 years ago. Uh, He called me one night and said, hey man, I heard you played guitar because I don't know if you know this, if you go to a church and you try to lay low, don't tell anybody you can play guitar. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so he called me and said, hey, man, you want to come play? I said, sure. Played for a while. And then he was like, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. You should do it. And I said, no. And then I said, yes, because I can't actually say no to anybody. So uh, I did that. And then here we are all this time. So if you didn't know, Jim Armand is actually my favorite personal worship leader. Um, so if you ever get a chance to go to Washington he leads up there, you should see him because he's super anointed and gifted, amazing family. But I'm glad you guys are here. Glad the Willises are here. You can keep Tristan in check. Uh <laughs> But, uh, it's really good to see you guys, um, I'm excited, we're in our Angels and Demons series, and, uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying the series so far, I don't know if you've been here, but it's been fun, um, last week we, I kind of talked about the supernatural realm, and, uh, I just want to apologize if I have given you more questions than answers, uh, during this series, some of you, you're like, I now have more things I'm, good, that should be your life, to constantly pursue a knowledge of who God is and what He does, that, that's a blessing, um. Um, but this week, I want to talk about something a little uh, specific, um, and I want to draw you another picture if I can. Are you guys good with that? Last week, I tried to draw a cherub, and it went horribly wrong, and I just got tagged into Instagram all week. So I'm not going to draw any tiny, tiny babies with bat wings again. My my problem was I started with the legs. You should never draw any creature with starting with the legs. <laughs> it's the worst choice ever. But anyways, whatever. Um, okay, so... <laughs> So I drew two realms here. I'm going to draw them here, and then we'll talk about them here as we start this morning. But two realms here. One and two. That'll work. Drew, two realms. Anybody that was here last week, you get some extra credit this week, uh, you can shout out. Do you remember what this realm was called? The spiritual or the supernatural? Spiritual or the supernatural? Do you remember what this was called? Earth. Good, good, good. Earthly. Earthly and the natural. Good. So we had these kind of two realms. Does anyone remember what was right here in the middle? Eden. Okay. Wow. Okay. Give yourselves a round of applause. That's amazing. That was a week ago. I don't remember where I parked my truck this morning. (laughs) Y'all are remembering. Good. Good, good, good. Um, Eden. Eden was in the middle. And so up here there were all kinds of things. I'm just going to draw them quickly. I'm going to use the throne as a representation of Elohim. The big E. That's God, right? The big E, that's God. And then we had these other uh, supernatural beings up here in this space. We had the divine council. Ooh, that got weird fast. We had the divine, I'm just gonna draw them like this with like a head. You guys get the idea. There's arms, legs, you know, they're bodiless spirits, so I'm doing the best I can here with this marker. We had the divine council here, and they're around the throne. And then, does anyone remember what was in the middle? Someone. Cher- cherubim. You're not sure, but so you're like cher- Cherubim, seraphim, selaphim, <laughs> Whatever, just say it in tongues, and I'll write it down. Um, but, so we had the cherubim. They were like these again, I'm about to start with the legs again. Dang it. Um, they were like these creatures. That's a head of a lion. There's the legs, legs, tail, wings. Okay. And then the other one was the seraphim, which is like this serpent-like thing with six wings and hands That it would like cover itself and then hot, cold Remember all that? That was crazy Okay, then, okay, so then we had this very key place, Eden It was this high place This, this is a mountain here, in case you're wondering Where there was like this throne, and that was Eden That's where God dwelt. this throne, this high place Eden, okay And then we talked last week about the, the, the supernatural beings that were over here What were they called? Angels, okay Then what was over here? Do y'all remember what was over here? demons. Wow, you guys did a great job here. My gosh, this is amazing. Demons. We're going to make them these squiggly lightning bolts. And then there was one, the one big one over here. What's the big one here? The devil. Alright, the devil. Some of you guys are like, can you draw the devil? Don't worry, we'll cancel him. It's okay. The devil's the only thing you should be able to cancel. Um, and then right here we had Adam and we had Eve. Good? Why well, can't draw them naked, guys? Come on, stick figures. Church, there's kids here. Um, okay, so we had this kind of supernatural realm set up, and so last time we talked about, we talked about these, we talked about these. But if we are really honest, we got questions about angels. But we have like, we got questions about o- what's happening over here, right? Like all, all the really intense movies, they, they deal with this. The like angels in the outfield, right? Uh, paranormal activity, right? right? These are mild blockbusters. These are uh, intense films all over culture. We have questions about here. But in order to understand a lot of what's happening here and most of what's happening here, we need to understand what is happening right here in Eden. Someone say Eden. Eden. Eden we got to understand Eden. Because in order to understand all this, this sits at the metal. It is is this cross-section, this coming together, this space where the supernatural and the natural meet Eden, a special place. And we need to kind of go back to the beginning. Do we have any Princess Bride fans here? Right? You know, Vasily, you said go back to the beginning, right? So we're going to go back to the beginning. And we need to look at what happens here. And it's called the fall. Someone say the fall. Any of you guys fans of autumn? Yeah, see, not that. The fall. <laughs> the fall. Something something profound that happens here. The fall. The fall. It's not about sweaters, Janna, Stop laughing. It's not. <laughs> the fall. And it's important because if we understand the fall, it will make us better appreciate and understand the resurrection and new life. If you're in uh, this room or if you're online, you can look it up online. Uh, but if you're in this room, we have this— uh, Uh, mission on the back. says, so that all people, this is why we exist, so that all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. To understand the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ, one of the best ways we do that is understand the fall. Because this isn't just a random thing that's happening. From the beginning of time, something was prepared and set forth for you. And as we begin to understand the fall, we begin to understand that God's primary purpose for your life has always been restoration. And so no matter how you walked in here today, you might not really understand anything I talk about today, but understand this. There is nothing in your life that God cannot restore, and there's nothing in your life that God cannot overcome, and there's no mountain that He cannot give you a miracle for. And all that I'm going to share with you today is to tell you that it, God is not just randomly just mixing things up and hoping that it works out for you. He has from the beginning ordained and prepared and believed life for you and hope for you and restoration for you. So let's look, let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 3, chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, open up to Genesis 3, 1. And uh, we're going to go through this together. We're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis. Uh, If you're newer, maybe you just got your Bible, Genesis is the very first book. So you get through all the publisher pages, you get to Genesis. If you have the Bible app, which is a really great app, you could probably download it now. By the time I'm done, no matter how bad your cell signal is, you'll still have it. But go to the very first book, Genesis. If you're online watching with us, there's a tab. You just go over and you click Bible, and it'll come up. Genesis 3, so the third chapter of the first verse. I want to read this to you to kind of set us up here today. It's going to present some questions we're going to answer. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Eve, "Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, you ever read scripture and it gives you more questions than answers? Okay, this has some. This is some questions. What is Eden? I think we need to look at that. Why is it a garden? Right, like it's a perfect place. If I was going to make a perfect place, I would make a beach. Why did God make a garden? Right, on a mountain. It's a. Why is it a garden? The other question is why is Satan there? Have you ever thought about that? Perfect place, beautiful place. God is there, but also. Satan is there why is Satan in the garden and I think probably the biggest question why is Eve so chill talking to a talking snake the for realest question like why is she so nonchalant about this big questions what is Eden what is it about let's pray and then let's walk through them can we do that together this morning amen let's pray would you bow your heads with me this morning God I thank you for your word Holy Spirit, we just yield this service to you. I pray that you would work upon our hearts and our minds and our understandings. And I pray, God, if there's any um, just hard-heartedness within us, maybe things are blocking our understanding, God, I pray they would be released right now so that we could just experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Christ this morning. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's tackle some of these questions. What is Eden and what is the Garden of Eden? Genesis 2, 8. So if you were in Genesis 3 in your Bible, you'd actually just go back a little bit, get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says this about creation. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put a man who had been formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Okay. So, Eden, the place that we're going to look at, is actually a garden in Eden. It's within the place of Eden. So, Eden's a place, but the garden is a place within Eden, because the river flows out of Eden to the garden. Right? So... It's a specific place that God has built, that God has planted. He has planted a specific garden and put man there. It's not random happenstance. It's a very specific place that God's created, and he plants it on a high place. We're told there's one river, and it flows in lots of rivers, and so God plants it on a high place. So it's a garden, and it's a mountain, which we'll talk more about. But I think that's interesting. Why is it a garden and why is it a mountain? Like I said, why not a beach? Some of you, it's like the snowy banks of Ohio. I don't know, whatever it is for you. Why isn't it this thing? Why is it a garden? And why is it a mountain? Because the writer of Genesis is using imagery to tell us something. Now, we're not, we don't live in the ancient Near East, but I don't know, put yourself there mentally. The, the writer of Genesis is using some imagery to say that gardens and mountains are where God's lived. This has been like a historic cultural thing. Like gardens and mountains, those are the places of God's. And so the writer of Genesis is using this strong ancient Near East uh, cultural imagery to say, God is living and dwelling here. You still with me? So God is actually dwelling in this garden, in this mountain. It is the mountain of God. It is the garden of God. And so it's really a powerful place because Eden is not just some orange grove or some palm trees or a nice little brook. It is a deeply supernatural and physical place. A a crossing, a, a, a special place where heaven touches earth. It would be like the tabernacle or the temple. Those were all representations of Eden that came later. And they would carve things on the walls or paint things to remind them of the supernatural beings that were in Eden. But Eden is this beautiful, divine place. So God is there. God is in Eden, but there's some other beings in Eden. We know the divine council was in Eden. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the divine council, and it says in Scripture that the divine council dwelled with God, and that God dwelled in Eden. Psalm 82.1, it tells us this. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. These were angelic beings who surrounded God, who did ministry with God, who were deeply, deeply spiritual and powerful. It says, in the midst of the gods, lowercase g, he holds judgment. Okay, remember, the divine council, if you were here last week, if not, I'll just tell you, the divine council were called the sons of God. But it was a lowercase g, the little g. And that uppercase or lowercase makes a big difference. And so this is not polytheism right? There's one God. But these are divine counsels. These are angelic beings surrounding the throne of God. And so we see even in Ezekiel, uh, speaking and prophesying to members of the divine council, and one specifically, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Ezekiel 28, 13 tells us the same thing. He says, you were in the garden of Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day you were created, they were prepared. It says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Okay, anyone have even more questions now? Like, wait, stones of fire? Is it a volcano? Is so that where Eden is? No. So we're told in Scripture that these divine council members are, are, are shining and brilliant like, like beautiful stones. He says, he's trying to use like a, a physical example for something that's divinely spiritual. So he's like, think of all the best gemstones you could ever think of, and they're brighter and shinier and more amazing than all of those. Right? And he says, and they were in the garden. And he says, you were a cherub. You were a cherub, a throne guardian, a cherub in the garden. So we know the divine council. So we get this kind of picture of this really beautiful place. And I know it's hard to imagine hard for me to imagine, but we get this picture of this beautiful place, Eden. Right? It's perfect. This beautiful garden. God's put everything you could ever imagine. And not only that, God is there. Right? And he's walking in the garden. He's walking, it says Genesis 3.8, in the cool of the day, he would walk in the garden. But not only is God there, these supernatural, beautiful beings are in the garden as well, intersecting it as a supernatural and natural place. It sounds amazing, right? Like sometimes when we picture Eden, we're like, oh yeah, it's like a little oasis, and then they got kicked out of the hedgerow, and God put an angel there. No, it is profoundly supernatural. Profoundly Supernatural. But that wasn't the only things that are in there, (laughs) the supernatural. There's something else that was in the garden. Humanity was in the garden. Humanity was in. Genesis 1.27 tells us, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, here's what he said. Follow me here. Be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's an interesting phrase. Have dominion over the fish. How do you have dominion over fish? (laughs) That seems like weird. Like, we're all just secretly. Katie was telling me earlier, she's praying that she gets Aquaman power, she can talk to fish. That's about the only way I could think, right? How do you have dominion? Well, what he's saying is very clearly not uh, to dominate the earth— right? But Eden is this special, powerful, beautiful place where not only is creation living in unity, but God is living in unity with man. And God looks to man and says, I created you with my image so that you could take Eden and take it out of the garden to other places to multiply it, to make it flourish. We're not called to abuse the earth. We're called to make it flourish and grow and be better. And not only the earth, but man's connection with God. It's not just natural. It's supernatural. God created man to reflect his image. That's very unique. We're going to talk about that. Created it to reflect his image. And it's really the first being we see like this. Not a single being we've seen so far God has said, I created you in my image. And I think there's a profound moment here that if we miss it, if we miss this moment, we will misunderstand what is happening? Because I think if we understand this moment of creation, God placing man in Eden, the role of the relationship given, the image he was created with, then we have an indicator for why Satan does what he does next. See, angels, the divine counsel, supernatural beings, they're all there at creation, right? They're all a part of this beautiful creation. And every time God creates something, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, meaning it is perfect. It's blessed. It's amazing. This is so good. And all the angels, they're up here and they're like, yes, yes, praise the Lord. Yes, it's good. It's good. It's good. And he makes everything. And then, and then God creates man. He creates man out of dirt. Profoundly beautiful, supernatural beings, dirt creatures. All powerful, omniscient, six wings covering their eyes, shining like emeralds and diamonds, you know, and stones and the glory and dirt people. <laughs> but he makes them in he makes them in his image. He makes them in his image. And he says a couple of things. Remember, he didn't make angels in his image. And he says to these beings that he has created. Not only while I have an intimate relationship with you, not only have I made you my image, but now go forth and multiply. Well, angelic beings have not been given the call or the opportunity to multiply. They, they have not been commanded by God to do that. Now, have you ever wondered what the Nephilim are? Okay. Have you ever wondered why in prophecy, when it sounds like God's talking to angels, he's always talking to kings of nations? Okay, good. Well, then come in three weeks, and I'll tell you what it means. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Get, got him no, <laughs> but he tells man, multiply, he tells him multiply, go and multiply, and what does he do? He tells them then, go and rule over the earth, not in like a possessive power sense, but in a flourishing sense, but he doesn 't tell the angelic beings to do that he doesn 't tell the angelic beings to rule over the earth he doesn 't tell the angelic beings to go over the earth and, and subdue it and submit it, right and they're not they 're not omniscient they 're not omnipresent, but he doesn 't tell them he tells The dirt people, made in his image. They're beautiful and amazing because of God crafting them in his image. I joke, dirt, but God sees us as precious and beautiful and amazing. And he creates them and he says, you're mine. You're mine for relationship and go out and rule. And Satan says, wait, I I don't like that right? I'm angelic. The, 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 the beings are, are powerful and amazing. We want to rule. We want to have authority. We want to have power. If you're going to pick anybody to rule this realm, why would you not pick the shiny, beautiful, supernatural beings? Why did you make someone else? And so Satan says, I don't like this, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to Eve, and I'm going to destroy this relationship, That's the motivation. Satan comes to Eve in the garden to ruin God's plan. Satan's beef is with Elohim. Satan's battle is against Elohim. Satan wants to rule in place of Elohim, but he comes to Eve, and this is the reality. Satan has come to violate God's children and destroy their home. And that's the moment that we see in Genesis 3. Satan says, I will ruin this plan and destroy the residence of God with his people because I want to rule. Genesis 3.1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He comes to her to destroy and destroy. But it's interesting, the serpent so, there was somebody else in the garden. We know the divine council was there. Satan was in the garden. Satan was in the garden. I think we have a weird view of Satan, just culturally. We get this, like, na- you know, like Hanna Barbera uh, cartoon version. It's got like a, a red jumpsuit and like a tail. Or like maybe you've seen one at a party and you thought, really, that's what the devil looks like? Got the horns, maybe some hooves. I think we have a distorted view. Because that isn't actually what Satan looks like, and I think we need to change the way we see Satan. I mean, it sounds like I'm defending him here, um, but change the way we see him so we understand clearly what his role is. Because when we read Genesis 3:1, it says a serpent came. Sometimes people take that very literally, like a snake came, or like a dragon came and talked to Eve. Um, yeah, I mean that's one that's one way. <laughs> The, the way that some of them just thought, I was like, well, maybe Satan, he like possessed like a Komodo dragon, or like a dragon, or like a, some, some kind of like lizard, because it has to get its legs knocked off later. And then that dragon went to the garden, and it talked to Eve, and she was cool with that because we all know that women are totally fine talking to, you know, snakes. Some of you are like, I, you know, I used to date one, but <laughs> 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 we'll take that out of the podcast, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but it ca- yeah came and talked to this woman and then she was cool with it and then it was like hey you should eat this apple cuz like I know God said don't eat apples but like it's fine you should do it and she's like okay cool and then she gave it to Adam and he was like well you know I can't argue with my wife when she's naked so so she took it and he took it and then it was fine <laughs> like, <laughs> Immediately that like textually breaks down. If you look at the word, it it textually breaks down. And what I want us to do today just really briefly is look at interpreting this moment in light of the ancient Near East writer who wrote it. The key with biblical interpretation is that we never interpret Scripture in light of our context in the sense of what they wrote and what they meant. We interpret it based off of what the writer meant and what their culture was. That's how we keep from getting into weird problems. We interpret according to them. And so the Hebrew writer who wrote Genesis used the word right here for serpent. He used the word nakash. Somebody say nakash. Nakash. That was your Hebrew lesson today, nakash. Here's what nakash means. Leave this line up for the people online so they can see all of it here. Nakash means snake or serpent. It means diviner or one who has divine knowledge. And it means brazen, like bright and fiery, shiny, bronze, or brass. That's the word being used here. It is much deeper than snake with legs. A serpent, a deceiver. So when it says serpent, it means a serpent being with divine knowledge who is shiny or brazen. That seems like she's talking more than to a snake, right? Seems like she got tricked more than by a snake, right? It is a serpent being with divine knowledge who is shiny. Why use the term serpent? That's an interesting choice. It's kind of scary. it sounded like a devil, it's scary. Well, serpents were actually a very consistent imagery to represent throne guardians in the ancient Near East. If we look in the ancient Near East, serpents, uh, serpent figures in ancient culture were a representation of throne guardians. And from when we all talked last week, throne guardians are cherubim and seraphim. Throne guardians. Serpent figures. Ezekiel 28, 14 talking to Satan says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Serpents are throne guardians. It was this consistent imagery. Isaiah 6-2 says, above him when he sees this image stood the seraphim above God. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Basically the same thing. Seraphim, cherubim are these throne guardians. Why does Isaiah say seraphim? That's another word for serpent or throne guardian as well. There's a lot of serpent throne guardians right now, like in Scripture. It's weird because we don't really ever bring it up, but it's a crazy image when we really think about it. He writes this because of the deep cultural understanding of how to portray what's happening supernaturally. So, who Who, uh, let me ask, I guess, if you might know, who do you think might have written Genesis? Who has a guess? Moses. Good, everyone wasn't sure. Moses. Moses wrote Genesis. And where did Moses grow up? Egypt. Where did all of Israel live for hundreds of years before they went out into the desert? Egypt. I'll give you a spoiler alert. In Egypt, throne guardians were serpents. It was a symbol. It was a symbol of something a divine. So you're like, wait a second, they took Egyptian gods? No. This is a representation of something supernatural. Generations and centuries and different cultures have tried to explain something supernatural. Because the supernatural thing is constant. But the description is usually where we nail it or miss it. Right? So some people are like, aliens! And other people are like, well no, that's a, that's a spirit. Right? <laughs> it just depends on really where you're landing here. Correctly or incorrectly. Here's what I found, Siri. Thank you. So Moses is trying to explain to the people of Israel something something that God has dictated to him. He says, seraphim, or bright or burning ones, or serpent. That's the same as nakash, meaning shiny, throne, guardian, serpent, diviner, divine wisdom and understanding. They're bright or brazen. It's all the same word. I, I say this and give this background to say what, what Moses is writing here and trying to tell us is that Eve is not talking to a snake. Right? Anyone who thinks Eve is talking to a snake does not understand women. I have never met a woman that would be so chill about talking to a literal reptile or a reptile that talks back to her. Right? I wouldn't. That's not a knock on women. I wouldn't either. I don't know many dudes that would come across a talking snake and not either run or hit it with a stick. Very different reactions. But we all know. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Like, just immediately. (laughs) Better come to Burning Bush next time. (laughs) She's not talking with a snake. She's talking with a supernatural being and a good looking one. Ezekiel twenty-eight again, verse twelve. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, "Thus says the Lord God: You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then all those stones I listed—right, diamond, onyx, jasper—all these things—says you were an anointed guardian chair. By place you, you are on the holy mountain of God. This is what's amazing. So. The throne guardian that comes, the Nakash that comes, the serpent that comes, Satan that comes, it says was wise and beautiful. Not a tiny man with a pitchfork. Like a like a glorious, shiny, most beautiful, like bedazzled Brad Pitt. Right? <laughs> What's the modern? Ryan God? I don't know. What are you got, what are you girls into now? Some the only, someone from The Bachelorette? I don't know. <laughs> Is that the girl? I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? Someone you're super into, but shiny, <laughs> like, right? Like, beautiful and amazing and glorious, right? Some of you are like, yeah, it's my husband. Look at them and be like, yeah, you're the shiny one. I don't know, whatever. But, so, it's not a snake. It's a beautiful, a beautiful and wise person. In fact, we're told in angels, and most angelic expressions, they're quite tall. So, a beautiful, tall, smooth-talking, wise guy. I think we should give Eve give a break here, Right? not the first woman to fall for this play, right? Tall, good-looking, bronze, right? He's he's bronze, he's dark, tall, dark, and handsome, right? Not the first to fall. Some of you are like, oh, I'd eat the apple too. Come on, girl, right? You know, some of you, yeah. I think we should give Adam a break, right? It's just, right? I mean, what are you gonna do? <laughs> tall, beautiful, wise. Genesis, uh, when it uses that word wise wise in Genesis 3, it actually, uh, or crafty, it actually means wise like in Proverbs. Very smart, very intelligent, very able to figure things out and come to solutions. Isaiah 14, 12 says, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You know, that prophecy is written to the king of Babylon. And in three weeks, I'm going to explain again like I talked about why these different kings and why the sons of God have come upon every nation except for Israel. But there's a thing here. He says, oh, day star, that means shining one. We use the word a lot, Lucifer, for Satan. But Lucifer is not a proper biblical name of Satan. It's not in the Bible. Lucifer is the Latin understanding of shining one. He's bright, beautiful, brazen. So I'm just saying this to say, This is a profoundly more important thing than Eve got tricked by a snake and now your child is born with a sin nature. That would be such a simplifying, missing the point, missing the battle, missing the understanding. And that's why we can write it off. Like, I can't believe you would say that we would be born with this nature in rebellion to God. Yeah, it's because we don't understand really what happened. This is the war here, here, right? This is the battle for your soul, for your life. And it says that he comes to Eve and he tricks her. She did not expect for this throne guardian to deceive her. Some might say she was naive. But I would say that this is a profound supernatural experience that's occurring that leads her into rebelling against God. This is the beginning of where evil comes from. And look what happens. If you're still there, look at Genesis 3.1. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say—are you sure he said—that's referencing Genesis 2, where God says, You can eat of every tree of the garden, but to the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But isn't that interesting? That's how Satan works. He said, Did God say you couldn't eat of any tree? It's like, Well, no, actually he said I could eat of every tree but this one. But Satan will so often try to get you to think that God is this malicious, controlling being that wants to keep you locked in. Can I tell you that it is only through God that there is freedom? It is through sin that there is slavery. But the devil will always try to make slavery look like freedom because it's much easier, much easier to make a deceived person who is captive stay captive. And so he says, Did God really say you can't eat of any? And she's like, Well, no, he said we could eat of everyone. He's like, Yeah, but that's not what he meant. Here's the reality. Humanity has a choice. It's a choice between two things. There's no third. To obey God or not to obey God. It's not to kind of obey. Obey God or not obey God. That's the choice. Do I obey God or not? That's called free will. That's called free will. Free will is the reason evil is allowed to exist is that we are made in God's image. And if we're really made in God's image, then we really have to have free will. Free will is a mirroring of God. We are not robots. We are given the free will to choose. Free will is essential, but free will is also how evil exists. It has a consequence. So the question then is, so then if God created us with free will, did he create evil? Has anyone ever asked you that? Oh yeah, well if God created us, did God create evil? The answer is no. No. Because God is only good And in order to create evil He would have to be evil But if God was evil Then he couldn't triumph over evil Because he can't triumph over himself And so then salvation would just be a wash It would never happen But we're told by scripture that God is not evil First John 1 John 1:5 says God is light And in him is no darkness at all James 1:13 says Let no one say when he's tempted I'm being tempted by God For God cannot be tempted with evil And he himself tempts no one Psalms 5-4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. So the question is, God is not evil, and He didn't create evil. Where did evil come from then? People say, well, wait a second. If you're saying God created everything, which I am saying that, and the Bible is saying that, then if He created everything, and evil is a part of this world, then did He not create evil? My response is that it's a misunderstanding of how we create to believe that the response to rebellion is creation. Because here's what it means. Evil is a result of the rebellious actions against God. Evil is birthed from all rebellion. Are you with me? God did not create evil, but human beings use our free will to rebel against God, use His good and perfect creation to do evil. Okay, let me give you an example. Everyone still with me? Okay, good. Um, God, God made the earth. There's minerals in the earth. You can take those minerals. You can refine them down and you can make steel. And you can make a plowshare. You can make a knife. And you can take that knife and you can stab somebody. And you can murder them. Now, did God make that evil? Or did you, as a person with free will, choose to pervert the good and gracious creation of God and do evil? Right? It's rebellion. And this is so important because we have personified so many things in our nature. We have personified evil, but God has given us free will and the consequence of our choice for rebellion is evil. Evil is not a created entity. It doesn't balance good. It's not like some cartoon where you have like the bad guy and the good guy, but they both bring balance together. The superhero movie where the city needs both because they balance each other out. It's not a Jedi, right? It's not like we can't have too many Sith or too many Jedi, then you got to kill some. There's no balance. There is no such thing as yin and yang. Evil is not a created entity. Evil is not the presence of something. It's the absence of God's goodness and His righteousness. Evil is purely a consequence of rebellious creation, whether that is angelic or human. Evil is a consequence of rebellion. That's why beings created by a perfect God can still bring evil into the world. That's why a perfectly powerful and incredible being could be in the garden and still be totally evil and deceitful. Why? Because of a choice to rebel against God. Evil is a consequence of rebellious creation. So the question then is, why give any choice for evil? Has it, hasn't so much been done to damage the children of God because of the evil? You could probably think in your own life, like, God, why would you even give this choice? Why would you even give this option? If you're good and you knew that all this evil was gonna happen, why even make it? God, you know what? If you didn't put this tree there, we'd all be good, right? If you didn't put this tree there, none of us would be stressing about November 3rd. We'd all be fine. If you didn't do this, we'd all be fine. So, God, why did you put the tree? Why did you make the choice? Why give us that option? Because the tree is a representation of something. The tree is a symbolic representation of something. And you know, it wasn't about the apple. Scripture tells us, he says, even if you touch it, people say, oh, it's when she tasted it, that's what she knew. Well, Scripture tells us, if you touch it, you die. So that's a good reason to not even go near the tree. Why was she even over there? If you knew there was a plant that would murder you if you touched it, why would, you wouldn't let your kids go near it, but why do we go near it? Like, well, I was just picnicking near it, and I thought, ah, you know. She would have to be close. Why? Stay away. But ironically, it's not even an apple. They say, actually, it was probably a fig, because when uh, they fall, when they, when they sin, they sew fig leaves together to make clothes. Uh, some people say maybe it's a pomegranate or a citrus. That's what the word means. Um, it's interesting. The only reason we call it an apple is because of a bunch of nerds since Roman history that have made it a pun. And what I've learned is from the beginning of time, uh, nerds have been making puns and then making it history. Um, so <laughs> Jerome <laughs> was this Roman scholar, and he thought it was funny because the word apple comes from the word mollus. And, uh, and actually pronounce malice, right? As was malice palmaria, seed-bearing fruit. And he thought that malice sounded really close to the word malice, M-A-L-I-C-E, which means evil. And so he thought it was funny to put that in there, like it was like this pun. He was making a pun in Latin, which I don't speak, so it's not funny to me at all. Uh, and then... Uh, We we see Milton when he writes paradise lost and we're told in scripture like this is very clear what it is Don't make wild observations and Milton is like there's seven levels and you're guided and there's winged creatures and they jump Like he just totally goes wild with it And he thought it would be funny to just straight up call it an apple and then just see if it caught on and it did We all call it an apple now, but it was not An apple and regardless that doesn't matter Because it was not about the apple. It was not about the fruit. It was about a recognition. The tree was a recognition of a few things, real quick. The tree was a recognition that God is in authority. The tree was a recognition that to worship and serve God. The tree was a recognition that God is good. And the tree was a recognition that it is a choice to believe and serve and love God. Okay, that last one, that one hits hard. The tree was a recognition that it is a choice To believe and serve and love God. They might have been, they might or might not, they were the only two people on earth, but there was still a relational choice they had to make. Do I love and serve and obey God? We ask that question like, God, why didn't you jump in? Why didn't you jump in and keep them? Like you're omniscient. You knew, you knew that this would have happened. Why didn't you jump in and stop them? To which I reply, have you ever tried that with your kids? just hovering over them those of you with kids those of you maybe who are younger who are now in college or maybe you're gonna feel like you're free from this you're about to go make a bunch of terrible decisions and I would say slow down please um, <laughs> but maybe your parent do this is just like hover over your kid you just don't let him make any of the decision and just imagine you're like you're like no you can't do this only do this no you can't do this no love me you could only love me love me that just sounds creepy right right? We don't do that. You're like, no, I would never do that. I would lead my kids, and I would instruct them, and I would, and I would tell them, hey, this is what you should do, and this is how you live a fruitful life. And I would say, amen, you should write a book. He did too. It's called the Bible, right? (laughs) It's instructive to say, this is how you should live. Because I don't think we want to live with this kind of Orwellian minority report God, right, who jumps into our thoughts and tries to get ahead of us. Like, oh, God shows up, like, in three days, you're going to choose to sin against me, and you better not. Like, be like, oh, this doesn't sound like a great relationship at all. It sounds oppressive and mean, right? And why? Because if God takes away your choice, He takes away your free will. And importantly, you can't have genuine love and relationship without free will. Love coerced is unconvinced. There must be free will in order for there to be relationship. And can I tell you this morning, if you walked into church for the very first time, we're talking about angels and demons, and I got all these shapes up here. Can I just tell you, God wants to have relationship with you more than anything you could ever imagine. That's why He made this, to have relationship with you. He longs for that. He longs for that. And yet we see in Genesis 3 the serpent, the bright shining one comes and deceives Eve and Adam and they sin creates a separation it's crazy, Eve eats of that fruit and she is no closer to understanding God she's only further and constantly we are deceived to eat of a fruit thinking it will make us godlike, and yet it takes us farther eat of pride it will make you more what you want eat of lust, envy, wrath, greed eat of selfishness, it will it'll give you what you want and yet, it only brings us further. And so, Eve is separated, and Satan feels accomplished in completing his mission to destroy man in Eden, to destroy the children of God in their place of residence. And unfortunately, Satan is still deceiving to this day. Second Corinthians four four says. In their case, the God of this world, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's still deceiving to this day. He's still telling you, are you sure God said that? Are you sure God cares for you? Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure God wants a relationship with you? Or do you just think he wants to control you? Maybe he just wants to control you. Maybe it's just another list of rules for your life. Maybe that's all Christianity is. Just another list of rules that you can play religion, you can move up and be a small group leader, and then maybe someday if you follow enough rules, you'll get on staff. Then you'll get into like awesome heaven. I don't know what level that is. I won't be there, I promise you. But maybe if you do enough, you'll get there. And he lies to us and he deceives us. He said, God just wants to control you, and he makes us miss it. And he's still doing that today. You know, next week we're going to talk about who Satan is and what he does specifically and what's going to happen with him, and that's going to be awesome. That's my favorite part. But this week there's something important I want to tell you. That we had a choice, and we chose rebellion. I had a choice, and I chose rebellion. But God sent his one and only son, to restore us to this relationship to restore us to this hope and this life and this unity and this love and this closeness and nothing that we have done can destroy that restoration when we choose to follow it god sent his one and only son to restore what was broken from the beginning man you guys can come up. did you know it was promised from the beginning did you know that your salvation wasn't just on the fly Genesis 3, like immediately after this happens God looks at the servant and he says Listen, because you have done this Cursed are you above all livestock And above the beasts of the fields On your belly you shall go And dust you shall eat all the days of your life Can you tell he's pissed? Yes, okay, good I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The ESV misses it a little bit here on the word for word translation because what it's actually saying here in the Hebrew is you will strike him, but he will crush you. Somebody say crush, crush. It's not bruise. He's not gonna bruise you. He is going to obliterate you. You will strike him, but he will crush you. God says to Satan, you have destroyed this relationship. You have come in to bring it, but guess what? I'm going to send someone who is going to destroy you and restore that relationship. And when Jesus was crucified, I can only imagine how excited Satan was. Because he didn't know what was coming next, because he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He's just a rebellious one of these. And I'm sure he was pumped, like, oh, I got him. But we're told on the third day Christ rises again. And when he rises again, he brings with him the keys to death and to hell. And in that moment, I believe, I believe the supernatural evil world was devastated with the reality that the victory had already been won for your soul. And though you weren't even created yet, God knew that he had restored the relationship that Satan had broken. When Christ rose from the grave for you, when he paid your debt for your sin, for my sin that I could never pay. I could never pay the debt for my sin. I'm not perfect. I can't die for myself. I can't pay the sacrifice. I can't be my atonement. But when Christ died, and he rose again. He paid the debt and he stood upon all of the supernatural and natural and declared that the relationship is restored. The old is gone. The new has come. That is our mission. The freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. That you're not just broken away from the sin and the shame, but you are now part of the power that has overcome it through Jesus Christ. And when Christ looks at you, he does not see your sin. He does not see your shame. He sees the restoration. He sees Eden within in your heart. He sees a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He sees a place of miracles. He sees a place of new life. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done to this garden. It doesn't matter. God restores. We serve a God of resurrection. There is nothing so dead that Christ cannot bring it back to life. There is nothing so gone he cannot draw it back. If he can defeat hell, then he can defeat what you're facing. If he can move mountains, then he can do a miracle. And this is what God wants to say today. It does not have to do with proving or climbing the mountain or ascending or yada yada yada. He's saying listen this has to do with my son that from the beginning I said listen Satan you might have tried to hurt my children but I will destroy you and I will restore them. I love Ephesians 2. I want to read this for you and this morning if you're having trouble concentrating maybe a little warm. I'm a little warm in this place. I just encourage you. Maybe close your eyes, focus your heart pull it up on your Bible, whatever you need to do. Ephesians 2 says this and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, if you underline in your Bible, now's the time. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, hear me again. I, you need to hear this this morning. Some of you, you need to hear this this morning. You're like, but what about this? But what about this? I haven't done enough. I haven't earned enough. I I, I I, don't know. I know the way I'm living is not aligning with this and what you're saying. Listen, hear me. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy because, because of what? Because of our work? Because of our effort? Because we did the right thing said the right, No. But because of the great love which He loved us When did He love us? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Eve ate of the apple. She was deceived and there was a separation. And every man following of mankind, man, woman, child following, has has fallen on the same path of rebellion to rebel against the love of God and yet God sent his son so that we might experience endless mercy and endless love and endless grace and the deep relationship not just on this earth but for eternity some of you this morning you've never made that decision to follow Christ because you feel like it's too controlling but can I tell you what Christ has done is the only reason you have an option for freedom You can't save yourself. So the choice is not love God or go to hell. That's not the choice. The choice was already made through rebellion, through sin. But God brings another choice. Another choice. Be restored or stay on the path that you're on. Be brought into life and hope freedom and power restoration we like to say here hope for every future and healing for every past step into that or stay walking down the path of darkness and sorrow that's the choice it's not love me or i kick you to hell it's receive the restoration and the hope and the freedom or stay stuck where you are can i tell you God has already has so much skin in the game he's already paid the price he's already made the choice he already sent his son for you in his heart just like in Eden just like today just like until the day he returns will be that his children might choose to love him might choose to follow him might choose to receive the freedom might choose to receive the healing might choose to receive the grace Can I tell you, I don't know what you have chosen up to this moment, but right now, God has given you the freedom of another choice. Would you stand with me this morning, every person? I want to pray over you today. Go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads as we close this morning. Every eye closed, every head bowed this morning. The fall broke away the relationship. And since the fall, the evil one has deceived the hearts of men that slavery and selfishness and pride is true freedom. But if you search your heart today, I believe that you will know that that is not the miracle you are looking for. And it will produce no more life than it already has produced. Yet I feel like the Lord has brought you here today, both in person and online, so that you might hear The sound of freedom resounding through the halls of your imprisonment. That you might hear that sound declaring, come out from where you are. Come out of the grave. Come out of your prison. Come out of your frustration. Come out of your isolation. Come out of your hurt and pain. Come out today and be embraced by the love of God. Receive healing. Receive freedom. Receive joy. You don't have to stay any longer. The prison doors are unlocked and open and they've been ripped off their hinges and only you choose to remain inside the cell. But Satan cannot keep you there. Spiritual forces cannot keep you there. Your sin cannot keep you there because Christ has died for it. And he says, if anyone is in me, if anyone comes out to me, if anyone steps in relationship to me, the old is gone and the new has come. And in the end, when God looks at us, he will not see your sin. He will not see your shame. He will see the righteousness of Jesus. And so this morning God is calling and saying, who wants hope for their future and healing for their past? Who needs a miracle today who needs Jesus and can I tell you the choice is not Jesus in this Jesus in this other thing Jesus in this practice it's Jesus and nothing else this morning he is calling to you and saying come out choose today I don't know what you've chosen before but you have a choice in this moment so I'm going to pray for you and if you're in this place and you've never made that choice to step out of the grave and receive the hope and healing of Jesus Christ then this is your moment Maybe you have made that choice in the past, but man, your life would not reflect that if we were to deeply examine it in this moment. And so your prayer is, God, I want to return. I have re-prisoned myself in my own shame and I want to step out and I want to live in alignment with you and the freedom of you. I want to begin that relationship again with you, God. So this morning, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in this place and for the first time or maybe you need to do it again, You need to say, Jesus, I commit my heart to you, and I choose to follow you. God, I choose life over death. I choose freedom over slavery, and I choose hope over darkness. If that's you this morning, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to invite you. Simply raise your hand, put it back down. If that's you, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, or begin it again, once you lift it up, you can put it back down. We're going to pray together this morning, all online. If you're online, I know every eye closes, head, bow, head bowed here. I, I can't see you online, but I'm believing with you as we celebrate what God's doing. So I encourage you, please click that button or uh, enter live prayer. One of our incredible online team will pray with you. we got some great people praying right now online. But I just want to invite us, could we all pray together today before we worship just to build our faith? And if this is your first time praying this, these are not magical words or anything, but this is about your heart. And when you commit this, this is the beginning. We say this is the first of many yeses, you will say, in a relationship to Jesus. But man, this is an awesome one. So we want to celebrate with you. So I just invite you, would you repeat after me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me for taking my sin, paying my debt by your blood on the cross. Thank you for rising again and inviting me into resurrection life. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I repent of all my sins. And I choose today to follow you for the rest of my life. Reveal to me the depths and riches of your love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Can we worship together this morning, church?